0: This podcast is sponsored by Plume. Deployed in more than 20 million homes globally, Plume helps service providers increase ARPU and reduce OPEX by reforming the bundle around next-generation smart home Wi-Fi experiences that subscribers love. Learn more at plume.com. Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Phil Harvey. I'm the editor of Light Reading.
1: I'm Kelsey Zeiser. I'm also an editor at Light Reading. And
2: I'm Anand Shah, a director of technology at Verizon. Hi,
0: Anand. How are you?
2: Oh, well, thank you. Thank you.
0: Thanks for being on the podcast. Your director of technology is a, it sounds like, you might be in a position of deciding what technology is used. Is, that, is, that, is my <laughs> assumption
2: correct there? Absolutely correct. It's pretty broad, but lots of things around 5G, AI, cloud, IoT, and just the, the coalescence of those technologies and how they work in the network is a part of the role there.
1: All the cool stuff. <laughs>
2: <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, you've been at our uh, uh, conferences
0: before, so we've had a chance to talk. And I, I know that your um, company, as big as Verizon, was with, with serving so many customers and businesses, how it decides to go into different markets and decides what commercial opportunities there are. Um, for the purpose of this podcast, we wanted to talk about private networks and the opportunity there. And my first question in that space is about, well, just about the opportunity itself. Verizon's been, of course, supplying connectivity and, and mobile uh, connections to to businesses for years. Why and what about private networks makes it such a different and appealing proposition? And then maybe we can get into some of the technology that kind of comes to bear on, on those uh, opportunities.
2: You mentioned it, right? Verizon's been out there for 20 plus years, just putting connectivity out there, broadband connectivity, wireless connectivity. And everything that we've built in our network from the core, from the RAN, the cloud that we have, it just felt like it was a natural step to make public networks that we have out there and the expertise we have there to convert it into private networks as well. And when we talk about private networks, it's a it's a new area now we're getting into where it's a, an actual product that we deliver to enterprises rather than a phone that we deliver to consumers, right? But The natural step was, you know, when you see things like AI, cloud and IoT that's out there, when you just pair it with 5G, the value of that technology we feel just goes exponentially higher. And then when you pair it with, let's say, private 5G or private LTE, where you have a lot better uh, SLAs, you could say, uh, for that enterprise, those technologies get much, much better when you have a private network there, so it was a natural step for at least Verizon to go into.
1: Are there some uh, verticals or, or certain types of enterprises that like make a great use case for private networks and that are really kind of leading the charge in in moving forward with that?
2: We have some unique customers that we're working with. We'll tell you one uh, right off the bat: the military or DoD. They have been very forward thinking with private networks and we're not just talking hey get a core and get a ran into their you know into their some of their bases but they're thinking about how do i get 5g into the f35 how do i get it on a tank how do i get private networks in, in those locations and campsites and bases and how do i get a 5g chipset in a in a in the cone of a missile uh, they're very very forward thinking when it comes to this and we as a network, we've been running a network, but there are a lot of technologies that the DOD is going to force industries to go into and do R&D on that, in turn, we can use back for our own network, or we can use for our public safety, our police, our firefighters that are out there, because the technology is, you know, one for the DOD is very similar for the firefighters and police that are out there as well. So DOD is definitely one use case. I mean, Mm -hmm. Uh, another one we've seen is mining use cases, a ton oh. of mining companies, and one that we didn't really realize till after we started heavily marketing the product that, hey, mines that are several hundred feet under the ground, folks and IoT devices and CADM devices need to communicate with each other down there. Mm-hmm. The best method to actually make that happen is a private network. One, the communication, and two, the local survivability piece. If the network gets cut off, the WAN link gets cut off back to the internet, well, you know what? Those devices still survive locally and have no dependence on anything outside of that network. So those are just two, you know, industries. I think one other I could attack, you know, the real estate industry or the folks that have that rent out offices to big companies and enterprises, they are trying to automate and have smart objects and IOTs throughout their building, right? And for these to communicate back to some central hub, whether it's located on a private mech that's on site or cloud, there's a lot of demand there and requests coming from that area as well.
1: The mining one's really interesting. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I think of cases where where miners have been stuck, but having those robust backups, I think, would be really critical for identifying you know, God forbid that happened, but where those people are and just the status of their equipment, and that seems like a really critical one. And then with the DoD example, it reminds me a little bit of NASA, where they've invented things like Velcro specifically for NASA, and then it's been something that's been utilized by other industries. So that's that's really interesting that some of their developments that that you can reuse those for other use cases.
0: When I'm uh, tank shopping, I, I it has to have five
1: G. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is, heated
0: seats are nice, but five G is a must because yes. you know you get in there, you're going through the neighborhood. You know you gotta you gotta be you gotta stay connected, even if.
2: Uh, no five G you know, could heat heat your seats too. It if could, you. yeah. <laughs> you get the
0: right <laughs> right equipment. I'm sure. I you know it's interesting. The the two examples of the military and mining are both what I would call like connectivity or sort of radio challenging environments for radio. And I guess this is kind of maybe maybe this is the technologist in you speaking because I'm. I uh, you know, most people would, would say something a little more safe, but I mean these are like you said, not just in the DOD's case, not just a challenging environment generally, but challenging from a point of view of they're they're always pushing the envelope. What's connected, how fast it's going, how much data you can know about something on its trajectory or what have you. In that scenario is the private network one for the military or does it break down into multiple private networks for different jobs? Like I'm I'm kind of curious as to how that's organized.
2: So there are two scenarios we could walk through. One that's on a base, a regular one that you would think of, right? That has maybe some IoT devices on a on a base, maybe some military personnel that are there then when you think about troops that are actually deployed, like we're talking squads and companies that are deployed, to have a mobile private network has been coming up as a as a big use case where literally you have a man pack where you have the 5G core in a backpack behind your back connected to like a Monet radio or something that could speak to a WAN link much further away. So that's another one where, hey, I'm I'm in the middle of the desert, but I'm able to provide communication to my squad that's within a mile radius of me. Right, so that's another use case that's coming up as well in the military, and then that's you know that's becoming table stakes, Phil. So having the private network, then the products and services that ride on top of that, whether it's uh, location awareness or whether it's some application that you're putting on the mech, uh, private mech that's there, those are also uh, a big part of the business case there.
0: Yeah, it's also an interesting kind of thing because the environment itself is challenging, in, in, in those scenarios, you know, not only does it have to be highly mobile, it has it can only be a certain size. It has to be <laughs> yep. constantly connected. I can definitely see breakthroughs in the development, you know, to meet those ends, things that could be beneficial for businesses like, Hey, how can I get my team connected quickly you know, with the least amount of equipment over the widest possible amount of bandwidth, that sort of thing. Uh, and then of course, security, because security has to be baked into all of that. You know, I've heard you reference MEC a couple of times, mobile edge computing, uh, unless that that is the, the acronym, right?
2: I think it changed to
1: multi-access now.
0: Well, okay. Um, multi-access computing. Uh, so now
1: it's like MIAC, maybe? You
2: <laughs> want everyone to be involved. MEAC yeah. sounds
1: better than MiAC. <laughs> but,
0: but when we're talking about the edge, is the private network or the advent of private networks, is that changing what a company like Verizon is doing around edge computing? Because it, it seems to be placing demand at very specific points in the network, and then you have to hook hook back up to the cloud and data centers and everything else. How is that all kind of working
2: together? the use cases that we're seeing the highest demand for are mission critical and latency sensitive. That's where the money is right now for private networks, right? But to truly reach that latency sensitive where we're saying sub 10 milliseconds, sub 20 milliseconds, you can't go out to the cloud. You might not even be able to go out to a public mech. So to have a private mech that's there orchestrating your applications across several different cloud components becoming very key too. So if we take an example like ARVR, right? We've heard this several times. If motion to photon where so what you're seeing on the glass is delayed by twenty milliseconds, you get into a puking sensation, right? <laughs> when you have that and, and you know, I, I've never really felt that, but and I don't want to. Hopefully you have. I, I, I was
0: at a demo. I'm not gonna oh, say no. which company <laughs> rhymes with microsoft but there was a demo at one of the CESs early on and it wasn't it wasn't ar vr necessarily it was just a gaming headset type device and it was hooked up to xbox wirelessly and the thing had in in the middle of the game it just had a a lag uh, just a slightly imperceptible lag but as soon as i took that thing (laughs) off i was i was i was a different shade of green it was weird
2: (laughs) And and, that's, and that is what happens, right? So what, uh, there's a the concept of even thin clients that are appearing in private networks where literally you have an AR glass or you have a phone. How can we get that as thin as possible, which means the, the chipset is as lightweight as possible and all the heavy compute that's happening is happening in our mech. So if you have an AR glass today, AR glasses, unless if you have the big bulky ones, maybe the HoloLens or whatnot – they're, they're bulky, they're heavy, they've got very little compute in them. And that's why the experiences aren't as profound as we want them to be. And it'll come over time, che- things get cheaper, chipsets get cheaper, or the form factors get a little more unique. But being able to offload that compute onto something local like a mech that's in that private network is another big use case that we're seeing and where everything is just a piece of glass. Everything's a piece of glass, but it's super smart because it's able to tap into the trove, troves of CPU and GPU that are sitting just twenty feet away from you over a wireless network.
1: Yeah, and Phil, you kind of alluded to this earlier, but are there any serious security considerations for private networks that you have to go through with your clients? I mean, just the term "private network" sounds fairly secure, but <laughs> like, what what are some considerations there?
2: There are absolutely. I mean, there, there are many that the government ask right off the bat, right, to make sure that the equipment is being sourced from the right locations, the right protocols are in there. We could also do over the top security as well, right? Um, not just enhanced security and network slicing, but even over the top, like a software defined perimeter, if you want to put that over the top where every device that's on the network needs to confirm with a central identity that they have access to a certain application. i that's that's one security uh, item. Another one is just not on the core side, but on the RAN side, you know, there's been a, a recent uh, democratization of spectrum, right? So you see Japan, UK, Germany, Netherlands, and, and the US with CBRS all coming out with unlicensed spectrum, right? And I'm not saying there's security uh, concerns here, right? But their unlicensed spectrum that's coming out, which is open for anyone to use and tap into here, right? So you see one item that Verizon's coming in with is licensed spectrum, which we could call secure, more robust. We've had it out there for 20 years. So uh, there's a lot of of work that has gone into interference management, etc. So what we're seeing is a lot of large enterprises are going with Mnos os or going with Verizon because we have that option of using unlicensed and licensed spectrum, which b- brings the, the security, the, the reliability, and the interference management with it versus just more smaller companies that are kind of dabbling and getting educated in here. They're, they're, they're okay with going over an unlicensed spectrum or CBRS just to see if the technology is a right fit for their company
0: sort of flip around kind of the criteria for what makes for a good business case for a private network are there enterprises or what kinds of enterprises are really not well suited for for private networks cuz we talk a lot about that it's this big opportunity in terms of connectivity and computing but it'd be interesting to know you know are there just are are there types of businesses or or maybe even whole industries where it's just Maybe it's overkill or maybe it doesn't it doesn't work out as well
2: well i would like to attack that with use cases maybe phil right i and 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 the big debate there is wi fi over five g right, and we've heard that tons of times and there there are pros and cons to both right you'll see five g having um, what I call higher level security with you know eBay k a methods and sim authentication that's being done versus Um, just username and password for an SSID, right? Handoffs on cells are hard handoffs in Wi-Fi versus 5G, right? Um, You have much better handoffs and edge coverage and a 3GPP-based technology is better than an 802.11 technology. I mean, the fundamental pros and cons to both. But, uh, Phil, one thing is just investigating the use cases versus the industry, right? If we say uh, that a use case just needs low throughputs, no latency, kind of similar to just using our phones in general. Wi-Fi might cut it, but when you start going into the more aggressive SLAs of needing five nines of reliability, needing 10 milliseconds or less of throughput, of latencies, gigabits of throughput, that's when we start seeing use cases where we're like, no, and we'll name one, something like TSN, time-sensitive networks, where the whole concept of ITOT convergences arising and and all these manufacturing industries and warehouses that have PLCs that are controlling their robots or SCADA's that are out there that are controlling their robots. If we want to convert that, 5G is something that's critical because of the roadmap items that are coming in through release 16, release 17, et cetera. And maybe something that might not be able to be done by a regular LAN interface or technology like Wi-Fi. Maybe not industries, because Phil, if you ask me, we want to inject 5G into every single industry that's out there. And I, that was a trick question on your part. But yeah, I'll- yeah. I'm,
0: I'm, <laughs> trying to, I'm trying to get you to dismiss an entire subsector of the economy, just oh, the so economy, I, can, yeah. I can write a nasty story about it later. But... <laughs>
1: Are there any major cost considerations that some of your um, customers have to consider? I mean, it seems like like not getting into the specific financials, but he's he's running five G
0: tanks. He doesn't. have he he doesn't. He doesn't care about the cost.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I'm worried
2: about spending my budgets and money. No, one thing is naturally, because we're putting servers in your warehouse and or wherever it is and, and your 5G core, right now it's going to be a little more expensive. But the use cases and the ROI, it's a job of Verizon's to explain to the customer, understand what the customer needs are and create an ROI calculator, basically explaining how 5G can benefit you in XYZ locations leading to whatever, an offload of the cost that you're going to pay for a 5G network. So I think the other item is just, manage services. I mean, you don't need an IT department now to manage this private networks. We got it for you. That's the whole purpose behind this. We go out there, do a site survey, install it, commission it, activate it. And for the next 20 years, we got your back with tier one to tier four of just coverage to make sure that all your components and all your core tech is taken care of. Don't worry about the IT part. I think that's a cost that we're saying, hey, pay us a nominal amount, but we'll cover that for for you.
1: And it does seem like that's more getting to be more important, like on the security side of a lot of these smaller businesses don't have the in-house uh, security and, and would need a managed service provider to.
2: Someone from outside to just fill in. Yeah. And that, that's becoming a recurring theme across many industries now.
1: I'm starting to think I could have like gone down a, a different career path and done security and made a bomb I, of money. Good. <laughs> Just don't, kidding. Don't start now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a, there's a whole like overlap, you know, the network itself is becoming, connectivity is becoming completely important for businesses, you know, more, more important than ever before, but the businesses themselves are, are being judged on whatever it is that they do. And so there's a desire to both have the best network and to outsource.
2: <laughs> Where do you concentrate your resources, right? You want it on your core tech and what you're selling. Let us take care of the stuff you don't care about.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that makes sense. That, that That is why I guess I can see it being a, a, a really tough decision for a company to kind of like you know, to really think through like how much of this makes a difference in our bottom line and how much of it is just something that we have to do anyway, that somebody else, you know, maybe could maybe could handle. I mean, that is the whole thought process, you know, that led so so much activity toward cloud computing. People just managing their own storage and then saying, like, what, you know, do I really need to be doing all of this? Yeah. Last question, and this is just a 5G kind of general question, but it could have a business application. I'm just curious, like, is there any kind of 5G application or use case you've seen lately that's pretty exciting, you know, that's kind of using that low latency part of the network or the network speed or something like that?
2: I'll tell you the one that's occurring or recurring quite a bit is uh, computer vision right off the bat. Computer vision translates to so many different, almost every industry that's out there. And I'll give you a funny example. And it's not one that we're going to actively deploy, but there was a bar, a bar that came to us and they're like, Hey, we want to know after midnight, we want to turn computer vision on. And we have a bunch of drunk people in here, and there are fights that happen all the time. And I want your computer vision to detect someone with a fist that's over their shoulder, ready to land a punch on someone. <laughs> no, re- real story, by the way. That's hilarious. You're like, Can you detect that and locally send a message to the bodyguards and the owner immediately when a, 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 A fist is detected over the shoulder after 12 a.m. Sorry, 12 a.m. to 2 a.m. It was (laughs) was a very unique that that just got me thinking that, hey, computer vision is one of those applications that, hey, if if a bar owner can come to us and say they want this, right, then you're talking automotive to detect little welds that are on cars and and every weld they could detect as early as possible that's an increased uh, efficiency or production on their metric, right? You could see that uh, there. You you see computer vision even with the reta- retail experience when people are picking up products, putting it in their carts, checking out. All that's done on cameras that are eight feet above you and just seeing what what your face is and putting a bunch of data together there.
0: Yeah, the safety implications are pretty pretty high, depending on what the deployment scenario is. Like you said, you know, looking for everything from manufacturing defects to, uh, I guess, having drunk people with fewer stitches in their head. You know, maybe, a, maybe that's a good thing too. <laughs> I feel like
1: that certainly answered the question of, you know, in those kind of situations where it's like, well, who started it? You know, yeah. <laughs> now we know. Go back to the
2: footage. <laughs> I mean, listen, we're, just from that example, we're only in the beginning. And the, the only thing limiting us here right now especially with 5G and private networks is our imagination right new use cases will emerge network slicing URLLC network slices will come about private networks will evolve with different releases and allow for more use cases to be successful on a private network so this is just the beginning we're only opening right now. And then there's an evolution where we see a lot of use cases that'll be successful over 5G and private networks.
0: Yeah. And we'll have to have you back to talk about network slicing and kind of how that how that's evolving, because we're getting a lot closer to that being a, a reality in a, in a lot of ways. Um, Anand Shah, uh, thanks so much for, uh, uh, for, for the use cases, the creative answers, and for being on the podcast.
1: Okay,
2: Kelsey, you guys are awesome. Thank you.
1: Yeah, we enjoyed it. Thanks.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Plume. Deployed in more than 20 million homes globally, Plume helps service providers increase ARPU and reduce OPEX by reforming the bundle around next-generation smart home Wi-Fi experiences that subscribers love. Learn more at Plume.com.